Hello and welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. We appreciate you joining us through this podcast. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at lighthousevineyard.church. Thank you once again for joining us and enjoy the message. You know, we have this strange thing of two services now where people like sit in for one service and they don't sit in for another. It's just odd. You know, I'm trying to get used to that. But since they're here, like Tony's here for all of them, I don't expect him to memorize the messages and all of that. But, you know, it's just still a little bit different. Um, I wanted to say, my name's Clint Schwartz. I'm lead pastor here. I just wanted to say thank you to everyone uh, for coming last week. Last week was our record attendance Sunday. We had just over 230 people between the two services last week. And that was super exciting for me. And I think the part that was the most exciting and has been the most exciting is that you all are bringing friends. You're inviting family members, neighbors, coworkers. And that's just super exciting because one of my daily prayers for our church is that we would be a bring a friend type church. And it's, it's happening. You guys are doing a fabulous job of that. So thank you so much for continuing to do that. So today I'm going to start off today's message um, by sharing a little bit about my background. And uh, I'll start out by letting you know that I'm the youngest of three brothers. I have two older brothers. And as I was growing up, they were very influential on me. And my oldest brother, Doug, um, was really far from God in his teenage years. And he would share this as part of his story as well. But he was really into the 70s uh, and 80s, early 80s rock scene, you know? So he had hundreds of records. Now, many of you, younger generation, probably don't know what that means. But it's it's a piece of vinyl. You might have heard the word vinyl because they kind of talk about that as kind of a cool thing. And there is a, it spins around and you have this lever that sits on top of it. And it's got a needle. It really, it has a needle in it. And it crackles, you know, like that. And then it plays music. It was really cool. It was, it was state-of-the-art back then. But he had literally hundreds of these records. He had like every Kiss album that was ever made, even the individual ones, ACDC, Led Zeppelin, all of these albums. But he tied that pretty closely to his spiritual condition, which he was very far from God. He was a partier and the music scene was all part of that. And then when he was a, uh, later in his teens, I'm thinking it was around 16, 17 years old. I didn't ask him to find out for sure, but he came to know Christ uh, and, and just found Jesus in a radical way and decided that all of that music was associated with his past life and that he needed to get rid of it. And so I remember the day, because I was like 10 or 11 years old, and he went outside and he got a fire going and he started burning thousands of dollars worth of records, which would be worth, what, a billion dollars today, right? Um, but yeah, he, he burned them, individual record after individual record. And that really made uh, an impact on me as a young Christian. I thought, well, then I need to kind of stay away from that kind of music. And so I started listening to what was out at that time, the Christian music that was out. And there were bands like the Imperials, uh, second chapter of Acts. I think maybe even Amy Grant uh, had come out by that time. I'm not sure. And it really wasn't 
the kind of music I like to listen to. But when I got into my teenage years, uh, then then came out like this Christian rock scene. You know, like there was Christian rock. And uh, there were bands like Resurrection Band and Jerusalem and Petra and Striper. You know, all of these bands came out. And I got really into the Christian music scene. So in my teenage years, I spent all of my money on gas to go to concerts, concert tickets. Uh, I would buy the um, t-shirts from these concerts and I would buy the cassettes. See, that's another thing you probably don't know, young generation. It's like this little plastic thing that has two wheels and they spin around and it was really cool. And I had, I ended up having hundreds of these cassettes. In fact, I had a double cassette boombox. I mean, I was somebody, some of you are like going, oh yeah, well, you could carry it on the shoulder. It had, it took eight D batteries that lasted for like, you know, a day, you know, and that was me, you know, some of you have just lost all respect. I see that. I can see from the generation, they're like, what in the world did you do? Anyway, so Christian music really became a big part of who I was. I spent a lot of time and energy at these music festivals and concerts and so on. And when I was in school, I only wore Christian concert t-shirts or I would wear my like football jersey if it was a game day, you know. But other than that, that's all I wore was blue jeans and Christian concert t-shirts. And so one day I was sitting in one of my classes. I think it was probably... My, my freshman, sophomore year, and I'm sitting in class, and there's this kid behind me, and he was kind of a bully. His name was Doug Wolf. That was his name. And so he was kind of a bully. He was bigger than me. He had a, a bite on his face from when he was a kid, so he had this scar, you know, on his face from a dog bite, and he was just kind of had a chip on his shoulder. He was just mean to everybody. And so during class, he was just kind of picking on me, you know, and I'm like, ugh. This kid, you know. And so after class, we're walking through the hall. I remember where I was at, walking down the hall. And he was behind me. And he read the back of my T-shirt, which was one of those Christian T-shirts. And he made fun of it. And I said, you know what? As I'm walking, I'm like, you can make fun of me. But you can't make fun of my music, right? (laughs) So anyway, so I turned around and did what every good Christian boy would do. I had a pencil in my hand, so I stabbed him in the leg with my pencil. (laughs) I said, don't make fun of my Christian music. That's what I did. Yeah. Um, So anyway, some things happened. First of all, he said, ouch. And he, he never made fun of my Christian music again. In fact, he never really talked to me ever again. I think he was afraid of the crazy guy, you know, over here. Um, but there's three things that did not happen as a result, though. Um, he didn't start listening to Christian music because I stabbed him with a pencil. That never happened. In fact, he never started coming to my church as a result. And at the end of the day, I, as far as I know, he never became a Christian. The problem with that was that Doug Wolf was the first one in my class of 1987 to die. You know, you, you hear about classmates that die. I don't remember how he died, but 
I do remember that he was the first one 10, 15, 20 years ago, whatever, that ended up dying. And I'm guessing from what I knew about him that he died far away from Christ. So even though I felt like I was justified to defend Christian music, um, my approach didn't help Doug find Jesus. So there has to be a better way. I wish I would have taken a different approach with Doug. And today, today Christian values are under assault. I mean, you read the news, you look on social media, and, and Christian values are under assault. There's a growing intolerance for Christian biblical beliefs. The values of society are drifting away from the Judeo-Christian values that this country was built upon. And Christians today are seen as intolerant bigots. And they just, they just are increasingly more and more and more. But that's not what Jesus wants us to be known for or seen as. John 13, 34 says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And by this, my love, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The Bible says that Christians are supposed to be known by our love, not by what we hate. And we have to find a better way because there are many divisive topics in our culture today. And there's a lot of pressure to conform to one side or the other. There's also a lot of pressure to just simply ignore the topics. You know, be a Christian, but let's not talk about all of those controversial topics. But I believe that the church should be a place where we can go and get some direction. Because if the church doesn't talk about these topics, then all we hear is really one side of the argument, right? All our kids here, all our children here is just one side of the argument. And scripture says that one side sounds right until another person comes in and presents their case as well. So I believe that we have an obligation to share the biblical side of these culture issues. But it's not easy. There's an article that I read on faithwire.com that said, or it's titled, Half of Pastors Worry They'll Offend Someone If They Preach on Controversial Topics. Went on to say that new polling has revealed Half of American pastors are too concerned they might offend someone to speak out on hot-button social and moral issues. And here's a graph that came with it. And I know you can't read these uh, areas there in the back of the auditorium. I'll read some of them. So on which issues, this is to pastors, do you feel limited or pressured to speak out? So homosexuality, LGBT was number one. Same-sex marriage, gay rights, number two. Abortion, pro-life. Morality, sexual general, general, politics, marriage, sex before marriage, immigration, religious freedom, poverty, and social justice. So you can kind of see there's, there's some of these don't talk about hot button topics that are being pressured on pastors today to either you should talk about it or you better not talk about it. I mean, that's what's happening today in our society. In fact, the other the other night, I was talking about this message series that we're embarking upon with my family. And so we're just sitting at home in a pastor's house, 
having a heated debate on the same issues we're going to be talking about. So it's just interesting to see the differences of perspective in, in generations, because we're even seeing it in our own home. Well, I'll tell you, these are, these are difficult topics to navigate, but I feel like God had asked me to take on some of these topics, and we're going to. We're going to try to, try to do that this next several weeks. The, the series is called Tough Topics, Living at Peace Without Compromising Scripture. And so our goal is to try to find peace in a culture where there's a lot of friction right now. But we don't want to compromise Scripture to find peace. So each week we're going to, first of all, try to understand why this is an issue. Why do people have two different opinions? So we're going to look at both sides of the coin. And I will tell you, if you're hard line on some of these topics, you might get offended as I talk about the other side, the other perspective, because you're already completely on one side. But we're going to take some time and we're going to talk about both perspectives. And then we're going to take a look at scripture and try to understand, okay, what does the Bible say? about this topic? What are some of the scriptures that apply to this topic? And then we'll try to finish off each week with, well, how do we live life in peace with those who oppose the biblical stance on this topic? That's the plan over the next several weeks. So the schedule looks like this. So today we're going to launch it by talking about living at peace, what that looks like. Next week, we're taking on the topic of abortion. That should be interesting. And then May 12th, which is Mother's Day, we talked about, is we're going we're gonna to actually do a panel with some of our leaders, our female leaders here at the church, and talk about women in leadership. Now, if you're younger or if you haven't been in the church, you might go, what? I didn't even know there was an issue with women in leadership because we've definitely seen a rise of women in leadership in our culture, but this is a pretty hot topic in most churches today. And so we're going to talk about why this is a hot topic and then talk about the, the vineyard's position on women in leadership. On May 19th, we're going to bring on same-sex marriage and talk about that. May 26th, we're going to hit immigration, which will be interesting. Try, we're going to try to answer the question, would Jesus build the wall? Hmm, interesting, huh? Yeah, because we have probably differences of opinion on that question just in this auditorium. Uh, June 2nd, we're going to hit the topic of nudity and modesty. We have a culture today that is moving more and more towards just complete nudity. That's just where it's headed. And where do we come into this on the modesty side? Where does that really play in? And, and we're just going to really, it'll be a good discussion uh, on June 2nd. June 9th, we'll hit politics. Does Jesus even care about the election? You know, that kind of question. Um, and then June 16th is Father's Day, and we're going to discuss men's role in society. Because men's role in society has completely shifted. I shouldn't say completely, but really shifted over the last 20 to 30, 40 years, for sure. And we're going to look and say, what does the Bible say about men's role in society? And... Uh, research that. So that's, that's our end of our series, June 16th. And then you all can pray for me because I'll be like, you know, wiped out at the end of that series. But today we're going to be focusing on the concept of living at peace. It's the cornerstone for our entire series. You can turn in your Bibles if you'd like. We'll be in Romans chapter 12. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Romans. And if you've been reading in John uh, earlier, when we talked about reading in your Bible, starting in John, you should be in Acts somewhere. And I would encourage you, finish that out and jump into Romans. Romans is a really good book to jump into next. Um, Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to the believers in Rome. And they were newer believers. And so Romans is very foundational about how to live, what it means to be a Christian, how Jesus was the Messiah, the chosen one, all of those things. And uh, Paul was actually, it is said that he wrote this before his first visit to Rome. So he was talking about with anticipation to come and visit the Romans. Well, we'll be in Romans chapter 12. And I'm going to read a longer section from 9 through 21. And I'll tell you, I just absolutely love this section of scripture. I, I, I should have shortened it, I know, for sake of time, but I just wanted to read it because it's all so good. I could preach a whole series just on this section of scripture. So starting with verse nine, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, never lacking, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And finally, in verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. By the way, we've been having some trouble with our lights, so they may blink a little bit here or there. But our key verse is verse 18. <clears throat> it says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And I love that because it says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. And just recognize there are going to be some people we cannot live at peace with. Okay, so, and that's why I love this scripture. It doesn't just say live at peace with everyone, because I think that would take some compromise, you know, of some of our values. But it does say, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace. And that's what we're going to try to do. So let me pray, and then I will give you three points that you can fill in on your handout. So let's pray. Father, we come to you, and I just thank you so much for your word, which has stood the test of time. And I pray, God, that you would open up our eyes to see and our ears to hear what you have to say to us today through your word. And I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would be active and present in this auditorium and would speak to our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, point number one, you can fill this in on your handout if you would like. We can live at peace without compromising scripture when we, number one, lead with love. Lead with love. Verses 9 and 10 says, love must be sincere. It means to really love. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. 
Be devoted to one another in love. And then honoring one another above yourselves is a way of acting out in love, to show honor. It starts with love. And if we are going to make a difference in our world, we're going to have to lead with love, not with hate. We need to show people that we love them and that we care about them, even when we disagree. Theodore Roosevelt was quoted as saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I've found that true in society as well, with friends and neighbors. They really don't care as much about what I have to think, uh, what I think about other than when they begin to know that I care about them. So we have to lead with love. And when we do that, it might open the door to a peaceful conversation instead of a confrontation. It reminded me of the movie, End of the Spear. Have anyone, has anyone seen that movie, End of the Spear? And by the way, if you haven't seen this movie, it's a very, very good movie to watch. I just encourage you guys to check it out. It's about five missionaries in 1956 who went to a tribe in Ecuador who didn't know anything about Christ, didn't know about Jesus. It was the Wodoni tribe. And they made a few trips, and then eventually the tribe had a misunderstanding and ended up killing all five of the missionaries. Killed them all. One of them, his name was Nate Saint. And then two years later, Nate's widow and Nate's sister went back to this tribe and tried to love the very people that killed their husband and their brother. And because they led with love, that whole tribe, most of that tribe came to know Jesus. In fact, it included Minkaye, who is a good close friend to the family today. Um, and he was the one that actually delivered the final spear to kill Nate Saint. Jesus calls us to love. He calls us to lead with love, no matter the situation. So here's a quote to ask yourself when you're in a disagreement with someone, a misunderstanding, and it gets a little heated. It turns into an argument or even a fight. Am I loving the person or loving my cause? Because I think when I stabbed Doug Wolf in the leg with a pencil, I certainly wasn't loving the person, but I was loving my cause. And it, it didn't have the fruit that I think I would want it to have today. So we need to lead with love. That's first of all. And then secondly, we can live at peace without compromising scripture when we stick to the Bible. When we stick to the Bible. In our section of scriptures in verse 9, 17, and 21, it talks about good and evil. It says, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Do not become, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Guys, if we're going to know what evil and good are, then we're going to have to find it in Scripture. Because there's a, a trend going on today, and you guys have heard me speak about this in the past, called moral relativism. You know, it basically means that what is right for you is right, and what is right for me is right, and what is wrong for you is wrong and to you, and what is wrong for me is wrong to me. It has the statement that's getting pretty popular you do you and I'll do me. You know, we've heard that. And then there was a, uh, a commercial I like a lot recently that said, just stay in your lane, bro. 
It's a similar concept. You know, I'm, I'm doing my own thing over here. You guys just stay out of my lane because this is what's right for me and it may not be right for you. Moral relativism. But that doesn't work in society. I heard a podcast speaker recently speak to this and say, he was arguing with someone who was arguing that point. And he said, so if somebody comes into your house and kills your baby because they think that that's fine, that's good, that's not evil, is that evil? And of course, they're like, yeah, that's evil. Because there are lines that are drawn. We all kind of know what they are. They're in society. So there really isn't moral relativism. We can, we can say that, but it's really not true because we all have this concept, general concept of what's right and wrong. And it comes with our conscience, but our consciences are being seared today. They're being influenced or being hardened. So we have to go back to the Bible. The Bible is our moral compass. We have to go back to Scripture. So when it comes to these controversial topics, we can all have an opinion based on our friends, based on what we've, where we went to school, based on our family. But our position must be based on Scripture. Must be based on Scripture. And so we have to have these conversations based on Scripture, not based on our feelings or our opinions. But in order to do that, we, we have to understand what the Bible says, right? We, for ourselves. We cannot base it just on what we think the Bible says. Here are some quotes that have been mistaken as biblical wisdom. First one is, God helps those who help themselves. I used to quote that. That is not scripture, by the way, just so you guys know. God helps those who can't help themselves is really more, more like the scripture, scriptural foundation. But that's not scripture. So we can't quote that as scripture. Here's another one. To thine own self be true. Sounds right. To thine own self be true. No, that's Shakespeare. That's not scripture. <laughs> it's not scripture. And then this last one, many moms have quoted this one. Cleanliness is next to godliness. That's not scripture either, moms, just so you know. Comes from a Jewish customs book. It's just not scripture. So we, so we need to know what is right and wrong by knowing what the Bible says. We have to know the Bible. Popular opinion has changed dramatically over the last decade or two, right? I mean, we've watched it. What used to be wrong is no longer wrong. You know, what was like, oh, I can't imagine that happening. It's now front page news. It is also in every sitcom or TV show that we watch. I mean, popular opinion is shifting and will continue to shift about what is right and wrong. We cannot base what is right and wrong based on popular opinion. We have to go back to Scripture because Scripture is eternal. It does not move. It is not shaken. Its principles stand the test of time. So we need to know the Bible. So we need to read the Bible. If you don't have a readable Bible, make sure you stop by the Welcome Center and pick one up. And just start reading every day in John. That's the beginning. 
And I will say this, I, was, I didn't really want to say this, but I felt like God put it on me, for, at least for this service. If you've been a Christian for several years and have never read the Bible from beginning to end, shame on you. I'm just going to say it. Just shame on you. We base our whole faith on what this book says. And if you haven't read it for yourself, then you need to. And if two years from now, you haven't read it from cover to cover, then shame on me. Because I'm going to push you to do it. Because we got to be in this book. And you have to know more about this book than what I say, or what the latest podcast says, or what the the wonderful quote on Facebook says. We got to know this book for ourselves. So pick up your book, your Bible, start reading it every day. Just get in it. Start in the book of John if you don't know where to start and just start reading. (laughs) So when we are in these difficult situations where where we disagree and we know the scripture, we we should refer to the scripture and speak with humility and say things like, You know, I believe that the Bible says that we're supposed to live at peace in the book of Romans. You know, I believe, I mean, because it's not your opinion. It's, it's, again, we're going to base our opinions, our positions on what scripture says. And if you can't, if you don't know the scripture, I mean, the nice thing is Google today, you can search and find scripture really easily. And so I use it all the time to find scripture. So Google it, read it off your phone. You know, let's, let's base our position on what the Word of God says. And it's really important that we don't compromise our position just be based or just for the purpose of peace. An example that I was thinking about of this was from the Old Testament in the book of Daniel. And many of us have heard the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they, I'll just summarize it though. So these were young men who were kidnapped from the country of Israel and taken to Babylon. And they were trained and put into positions, respected positions of authority by the King Nebuchadnezzar. But then one day King Nebuchadnezzar built a huge idol. So I'm sure that these guys had followed all the direction that they were, were, they were told to follow up till this point. But King Nebuchadnezzar makes this huge idol and then he commands everybody to bow down to this idol. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they know scripture. And in the, the book of, oh, where is it? Exodus is the Ten Commandments. And so they knew the second commandment was about not bowing down to idols. It says, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So they knew that scripture said, and they knew that they couldn't bow. So they didn't. So they refused to bow to this idol. Some other guys turn him into King Nebuchadnezzar and King Nebuchadnezzar brings him in front of them. He says, hey, you get one more shot. Bow down. And if you think about this, for the sake of peace, because King Nebuchadnezzar actually liked these guys. Bow down and we'll just forget this whole thing happened. And this is their response. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are being, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They responded respectfully and just stayed true to God's commands. Because they knew that they needed to obey God's commands, his word, scripture, before bowing to what was the norm in their culture, because everybody else was bowing, right? Well, to finish the story, they were thrown into the furnace and they didn't get burned up. They actually were fine. God rescued them. And then King Nebuchadnezzar changes his opinion and says, nobody can talk bad about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God because he's a true God and promoted them, actually gave them a promotion as well. But scripture should be our moral compass. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have said, well, when God wrote that command, people weren't being threatened to be killed. So I don't know if that actually applies to my situation. Or, or they could have said, God, God wants me to be happy. And getting burned up, that's not happiness, right? So I, it's okay for me to bow. But they didn't. They stuck to the word of God. They didn't compromise scripture and good things came out of it. So that's number two. We can live at peace without compromising scripture when we stick to the Bible, when we stick to scripture. And then the last point, we can live at peace without compromising scripture when we focus on doing good. I'll do this point fairly quickly. In Romans 12, 11 through 14, and then verse 21, just talks about, it says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. You know, it talks about being busy, you know, serving the Lord. Uh, share with God, the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And two weeks ago, I actually talked about uh, loving our enemies, and it is something that we need to do, actively showing love to our enemies. And that's what this point is all about. Instead of taking all the time to just argue our position. How about we spend time and energy and money just doing good, right? Just doing good to those around us. Reminds me of the section of scripture from Matthew chapter five. It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. So I do believe we're supposed to do good. We're just supposed to do good because that will give glory to God. I just really believe that there is so many things that need to be done in this world that we can really spend all of our time doing good things and not have to spend so much time arguing these points. If we just spend time doing good, we're going to be planning our first outreach, like an all-church outreach. I think it'll be like a block party type outreach here in the near future. And spend some time doing that. This Friday, I have a board meeting where we're going to discuss our next missions trip. I mean, honestly, when you, when you do things like that, it just takes your mental energy, your time, your money, 
and you spend it doing good, it just it doesn't leave a whole lot more time left to be frustrated and upset about these culture issues. So I would, I would just encourage you guys, spend your time just doing good for people instead of arguing with them. Um, it, rhy- it reminds me of the serenity prayer. I love this prayer. It says, God grant me the serenity, which is the state of being calm, peaceful, and untroubled, which we all want, right? We want this state of being calm, peaceful, and untroubled. So God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. And that really is my prayer for all of us. Because there are going to be many things in our, in our culture that we just cannot change. I cannot change what is being put on my television. I can't. I can change what I watch. Does that make sense? There are just some things I cannot change, but there are some things that I can change. So Lord, give us wisdom to know the difference. There are many people in our friend groups and people that we work with and people that we're friends with on social media that we're not going to change their opinion. We're just not. So we shouldn't fight super hard to change their opinion, right? But we can change some things around us, and we need to focus on those things. I think one of the things that we all have the ability to change is this perspective that Christians are, what, intolerant bigots, right? I think we can change that perspective by doing good. Just doing good to those around us. I want to read the rest. Did you know there was more to the serenity prayer back in the 1940s? And I want to read the rest of this and kind of leave us on this. Invite the worship team to come up for our last song. Because just just listen to these words. This is just so much wisdom. So it does the serenity prayer, and then it goes on to say, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking as he did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it be, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever and ever in the next. Amen. As we stand. So God, I pray that you would help us, Father, to know how to apply these principles to our specific lives, to how we communicate with friends, neighbors, how we communicate through social media, what we allow to rile us and what we don't allow to rile us, Father. And I pray that your word would become true in our lives, Father. In Jesus' name. Thank you for enjoying the message. We hope we helped you know God more intimately. If you feel our ministry is helping you spiritually, feel free to find out more about us at lighthousevineyard.church. Thank you once again for being part of our family, and we'll see you next time.